Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us in this episode of Innovation Friday, the podcast where we take a deep dive into the vital roles that hospital and health system pharmacy practitioners play in a new and emerging sciences. My name is Jack Hong, and I am a fourth-year student at VCU on a rotation at ASHP in the Office of Chief Operating Officer. And today we'll be chatting with Brian Fong, a pharmacist who is currently at Burley, formerly Google Life Sciences, as a health data architect about digital health and health information technology, and how these will help both health pharmacists, professionals, and patients make better informed decisions about staying healthy and preventing life-threatening diseases. Thanks for joining us today. How are you today, Brian Fong? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jack, and for ASHP for hosting me today. I'm very excited for this topic. Yeah, I'm very excited for this too. Digital health has been a big thing and a big involvement past decades. So to start off, would you mind sharing your practice journey and a little bit about your role in digital health? Sure, absolutely. So a little bit about my journey. I came from a very traditional path. I went to you know, four years of pharmacy school down at the University of Florida, go Gators, I always have to say that. And then I went off to do my first year residency at Sarasota Memorial Pharmacy Practice. And then I ventured off to my PGY2 in pharmacy informatics at the University of Utah. And to talk a little bit more about that, because I think those of us who usually go into pharmacy school don't usually think about going to fields like informatics per se. And what influenced me at that time was uh, the publication of the pharmacy forecast, actually. And one of the pivotal things that came out of the, that publication was that there's a shortage of trained pharmacy informatics individuals that were predicted in the next four years in pharmacy practice. And that was a big move and influence in me pursuing that PGY2 in pharmacy informatics. So I did that. Then had the opportunity to work at Mayo Clinic, where I was part of the what they called the Plumber Project team, named after Henry Plummer, the physician that founded the medical charts at Mayo Clinic. And it was a $2 billion project over four years, 2015 to 2019, where we converted 300 plus different systems across our 90 hospitals and clinics into one single electronic health record called EPIC. I was in charge of the infectious disease components, specifically antimicrobial stewardship and infection control. A very amazing project, enjoyed every bit of it. It is the best learning experience I've had to date. And so that project ended in 2019 and I shifted more into a pharmacy reporting type role. But I also began to pursue my MPH at the time, part-time. And then I also interned at the Office of the National Coordinator for health IT. For the viewers who are unfamiliar with that agency, the ONC is responsible for regulating all of health IT in the United States. So it was a very interesting perspective into the types of things that dictated what hospitals and health systems should do, like implement EHRs. That was the organization responsible for that. And most recently, I made a pretty big change six months ago into health tech. And currently, I'm at, I'm at Verily. I'm a health data architect. And the, the short of that is that I spend most of my time 
curating clinical concepts. So how do we define things like heart failure? What patients have a beta blocker? What patients have abnormal hemoglobin A1Cs? And I do that using different standards like SNOMED, LOINC, and RxNorm. That's uh, a little bit about my history, uh, maybe a little verbose, but uh, I'll pass it back to you, John. Wow, that's some great information out there. I know you were involved in a $2 billion project. It's a lot of things to cover in terms of digital health and health technology. Um, and so since we're talking about the digital health today, could you provide us a little more context about digital health and why it might be? Maybe share some examples of digital health innovation that you have experienced in relation to your pharmacy profession? Yeah, this, this is always an interesting conversation when the, the topic of digital health comes to play. And my perspective on it is that I think I first started hearing the, the word digital health in 2017 or 2018. In the things that came out of digital health, so to be very specific, I think of digital health in terms of telehealth or telemedicine, telehealth being the more broad term and telemedicine being more delivery of clinical services. The other popular category is like mHealth or like mobile health, things like apps on your phones. And then there's the really popular one, which is wearables. So things like smartwatches being the most common example. My experience with those have been much more limited, but I think the impact that I've seen over the years in this space have been tremendous. One example being, of course, COVID-19. COVID-19, I think telehealth and telemedicine has always been around for a while, but COVID-19 really has spurred the adoption of both of those practices uh, to a whole different level. So when COVID-19 came out, especially in the EHRs, when I was back at Mayo Clinic, we were spending a lot of time trying to figure out how do we make telemedicine work for our patients? And we spent a lot of time doing that. And it's been amazing what it can do, making things much more accessible, making things more efficient, the cost improvements and just like reducing cost to go to see your doctors and things like that was pretty incredible. In my current role, we're much more involved in the wearable devices. And one example is Onduo, which is one of our uh, parts that manages chronic disease states like diabetes. So we developed the sensors that patients would wear, like a continuous blood glucose monitor, and all of that information is fed continuously to our providers to monitor. So that's a very interesting space. I know a lot of people are starting to get into telemedicine. It's a great thing that you did mention COVID-19. It did give us the little, little involvement with telemedicine where how people can start you know, conversating with doctors through um, their phones, their laptops. And doctors can easily, you know, diagnose with them, easily be able to talk to the patients. Um, I think that's the next step rather than a lot of people did have, you know, access issues. So now the transportation issues, especially with the elderly. Conversationally, um, I know the Best Buy Health, I, I've been told that Best Buy has a health department where they're trying to help elderly now, people with Medicare and Doximity too. Uh, it's, it's been a new um, company that's been um, involved with doctors. I guess that's kind of related to, you know, what telemedicine is and how digital health will, you know, give access to elderly and, you know, any general population. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my understanding as well. I learned something new today. I didn't know that Best Buy was doing that kind of effort. So. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I didn't know. Actually, my grandma actually told me about it. Saying that, hey, 
Best Buy has a health department thing saying, you know, they're giving me a geek squad and a, a laptop so that, you know, they can help monitor things, help me with things. If things break down, they can come and help me. So I'm just like, wow, a lot of companies are now involved in general health. So what other opportunities exist in digital health to basically pro- help provide better health care and improve patient experience for the future? Yeah, so I love that question, and I'll probably be very biased towards my interests. So there's a lot of innovation and opportunity happening in digital health right now, but I think the biggest opportunity that will unlock many other opportunities is definitely the area of data interoperability. So just to use an example, let's say all these folks create different wearable devices, right? The power of the next generation, at least, I think, is in being able to aggregate all of that data and to derive some type of insights from it. But in my opinion, even to this day, there is a pretty large disassociation from like data standards and data aggregation and interoperability because everyone has their own different types of format, how they store the data, how they send the data, how they exchange the data. And why I want to say this is an area of opportunity is because a very exciting one too is the 21st Century Cures Act, which mandated that interoperability be one of those goals. In in 2020, the ONC finalized a rule that mandated all health IT vendors and many other healthcare entities, like payers, providers, to use the FHIR API, FHIR standing for Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resources. And I think that right there has started a a fairly large revolution in the last two years of people harmonizing to one kind of language. And I think that's where the opportunity is. So everyone's doing all this innovation. And as we gravitate towards a FHIR standard, one common standard, I think the opportunity is you can go anywhere. The sky is the limit. Wow, sky's the limit. I uh, I definitely agree with you in terms of that. I think the amount of impact that digital health itself provides healthcare, it would be phenomenal. And so we've had shown. So along with that topic, I know the current global big data in healthcare market size right now is valued approximately $33 billion. And apparently it's predicted to triple in value in the next decade. So, I mean, why do you think having such softwares and systems play a huge role in our healthcare innovation? Yeah, so that probably ties pretty nicely with the question that you asked previously in terms of opportunities. So big data is essentially aggregating data from all these places. And to do that, you have to have standards that dictate what are the formats of how do you store, exchange, and use data. Why do I think this? The answer, in my opinion, is because healthcare as a percentage of GDP is exploding. So to use some numbers, in 1950, it was about 5% of America's GDP, healthcare. It has consistently, every year until this year, continue to increase to where it's almost at 20% of GDP. That is 
unsustainable and very scary in many regards. If you're curious to look more into that, you can check out, there's a publication in 2022 from Nigam Shah, uh, New England Journal of Medicine that talks about this. The, the reason why global big data is so interesting is because we think, many people think that's the next area in resolving and fixing that issue. The opportunities when you have big data and to oversimplify it, you have a lot of big data, you derive insights from it on how do you make it more efficient, how do you reduce costs, and how do you treat patients better to reduce that impact on healthcare GDP. That's probably like the, the main short answer I have for it. What do you consider to be the biggest challenge uh, as of now or biggest barrier, as you might say, to digital health currently in pharmacy or our current healthcare system in general? Yeah, so I feel like most of my answers are going to be very, will come with a very common flavor, that single flavor of interoperability. But I'll probably add a different one to this one just so we can talk about something slightly different. But let me give you two categories. The first one is the one I've been, the theme I've been talking about in the last few questions, which is interoperability. So let's use like telemedicine, telehealth, mobile devices, and wearables. There is a need to exchange information. Actually, let's, let's pinpoint an example. If you have a specific device like a wearable, you need to be able to exchange information. And the ideal goal is exchange information in real time. Interoperability is very critical for that, right? That makes sense. So that is, in my opinion, still a huge barrier because I don't think where we we're at where we need to be to really derive the type of value that we want from that data. It's not big data, it's just data. Until we have better ways of exchanging data, like using FHIR, I don't think that we're gonna get to that big data level. So I think that's one of the barriers, but let's give a different theme here. Another barrier I think is a lot of the regulatory burden that comes with approving these types of things in digital health be it telemedicine, telehealth, like the adoption of it, you know, the state laws are very different. So if you wanted to pursue telehealth or telemedicine, you have to navigate a, a lot of regulatory barriers and challenges to do that. The other space is like mobile devices and your wearables. There's a lot of hurdles you must go through to get those things approved. And I think that that's, certainly the case when it comes to a barrier because there's just a lot of regulatory waters to navigate through but that's probably the same to be said about any type of innovation there's always a push and pull when it comes to how fast you can innovate because regulations exist for a reason and that's to make sure they're safe and effective but i do think that it is in some ways a, a barrier because it's such a new space is patient privacy a concern in digital health? You know, as we're you know getting the big data, you know, the, the database that we are currently talking about, and how would the HIPAA be implemented to secure patients' information with these technologies improving and and things are getting big now? So, yeah, that's a great question, and I think I have like a mix of thoughts to that. And directly, it's probably a yes and a no. I'll start with the no. I don't think it's a concern because a lot of the ways that we're sharing data when it comes to these type of mobile health technologies 
are beginning to use newer technologies like fire APIs. That's the direction everyone is headed. And the reason why I bring that up is because these fire technologies is based on web technologies, which has existed since the dawn of the internet. And the reason why that's important is because every day there are people around the world that log into their bank accounts or wire money. That's all built on web technologies. Every day we exchange sensitive information like social security numbers to places like the government. That is web technologies. So I say no because this technology that healthcare is now gravitating towards is built on a technology that we have used for many years. So if we say no here, then we should say no to all these other things. Now, the flip side to that is I say yes, because I think you ask anyone in the, in the world, you would think that patient security and privacy when it comes to things like mobile devices is absolutely a concern. We know that there's healthcare breaches in there out in the world. That's one. The second thing around HIPAA is a more interesting one. I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not entirely sure about this. But what I will say from what I understand is that HIPAA protects covered entities, right? I think we can agree on that. Your hospitals, your providers, things like that. So if your hospital provider is generating that healthcare data because they're taking care of a patient, that is absolutely covered in HIPAA. That's clearly spelled out. However, wearables, for example, or mobile app devices, they're not generated by a covered entity. They're generated by the patient. So my understanding is almost like it's not protected. Now, if the provider is using that data, like you go to your provider and you present the data to them or they suggested it and they're monitoring it, that's a different story. I'm just talking about a random person that is using one of these technologies to monitor their health, which is pretty popular nowadays, right? And they generate that data. I don't know if it's really protected. And even if it is, I think those areas are very gray. So the concern is yes in that regard. So I know it's not like a, a good answer to your question. I answered yes and no, <laughs> but as this is my thoughts. Yeah, there's a lot of different patient populations and being able to incorporate this digital health, it's gonna be hard for any populations that are not used to digital health yet. So, so my question here to you is, which patient populations do you foresee digital health providing the most impact? Yeah, this is a very interesting question and I hope I am on track with answering it. So please correct me if I uh, steer in a different direction. I'm going to answer this with a couple of general thoughts, and they may not be all entirely digital health related, but certainly tangentially related. The first thing I'll say is that I think it'll impact the elderly more. And to substantiate that, I'll say that more so from a population health lens, where it's like, if you think about the Pareto principle, where it's like 80-20, right? 80% of the outcomes is produced by 20% of the any given population. 80% of healthcare expenditures or outcomes and all the associated things with healthcare come from 20% of the population, which is the elderly. So I think when you do anything in healthcare, any impact, it's going to impact the elderly because they make up so much of you know healthcare. At the same time, the adoption that you actually just mentioned about the elderly, which we know is it could be more 
difficult for elderly folks to use newer technologies, especially relative to the younger generations who grew up with like iPads and iPhones. Adoption is absolutely a barrier to a lot of these different things. I don't know how many elderly folks, I know my grandma doesn't use a smartwatch or a mobile phone to monitor apps. So for sure, some of these technologies will probably also be a barrier. I don't know which will be more, but I can say in general, from a population health lens, that I still think it's going to be the elderly that's impacted the most when it comes to like healthcare outcomes. That's my kind of take on it, but I'm not sure if you had a different rationale for asking that question. I agree with you. I have to agree with you because the population of now is it's growing and you know, the older people are, you know, living longer, which is great. You know, that shows our advancement in medicine. But to, you know, also prove that advancement in technology can also help elderly is a barrier. And also I think personally, I think it's an exciting thing to see is I also do want to see my grandma sometimes use the new Apple Watch. You know, it has all the health technology that's that's on it. You know, how can digital health technology further impact the overall healthcare access? And, you know, how about the impact on social determinants of health? I love this question so much. And I think I love more the fact that I see the, the term social determinants of health used more often. I did my master's in public health just two years ago. And it's very eye-opening for all healthcare providers because healthcare providers are trained to take care of patients from an individual patient perspective. Public health, we look at the entire population. It's two very different ways of how we help patients. And the reason why I bring that up is because our emphasis on public health is on social determinants of health. And the reason why I say that is because if you look at the health of an entire population, 70% of it is dictated by things that happen outside of the four walls of the hospital space. And that 70% is things like the air quality, the environment you live in, the neighborhood you're in, the ability to access food, access healthcare, to have sidewalks to walk on. It's things that don't pertain to healthcare. Now, why does this pertain? what, What does this have to do with digital health, right? The reason why is because In the hospital healthcare setting, those of us trained as healthcare providers only see sick patients. We only get data on sick patients. Now, think about telehealth, telemedicine, mobile devices, which is ubiquitous, like smartphones are ubiquitous. Smartwatches, our adoption rates are probably 50% or higher. These are healthy patients. It's collecting data that healthcare providers can use beyond the four walls of the hospital. And saying that, it's it's healthy patients that we're collecting data on. And we can even go one step further. It's collecting data on things that we may have not seen in the past. Sleeping patterns. We don't monitor that in the hospital. Things like your walking and your steps in your day-to-day. Your travel patterns. Like how often are the patients... Like all these, the data, which in my opinion, it covers a lot of the different categories in the social determinants of health really is much more inclusive and a broader picture of the health of a a patient. And so I think digital health technologies is just very mind-blowing in what it can do. I do have a difficult time in fathoming all the possibilities here, but it just blows my mind how much data we can get and how we can use that to impact 
healthcare access overall. And maybe even one additional one that's very specific to social determinants of health is like transportation access. You know, it's not always about how good of the care a hospital provider can give you. It's also about, can you access it? So one of the cool things I saw, I just, I think two, three years ago, when people were emphasizing social determinants a little bit more is like, can you get to the hospital? And I know a lot of the common EHRs, like Epic and Cerner, were doing integrations with Uber and Lyft that said, hey, this patient doesn't have good transportation access because we're measuring that now. And we know, and they would offer to send them a Lyft or Uber. That's mind blowing to me, you know, to have all this kind of thing. So we're thinking about health and especially social determinants of health in so many different ways. And I think technologies like digital health can make a tremendous impact on healthcare. Yeah, it really uh, answers my question really well. I know the use of technologies, like you mentioned, the smartphones, even watches nowadays, is not only changing the way we communicate, but it's like how Uber is. It's providing innovative ways for us to monitor our health, the well-being that, you know, that we've been emphasizing. Um, and eventually it gives us a greater access to information. And hopefully it diminishes the impact that we have when we talk about social determinants of health. These are great answers, Brian. I know we're getting short on time. So I just want to close out our conversation by saying, what would you like to tell our healthcare industry about adopting the digital health systems that could benefit our current healthcare system? Yeah, I think in terms of adoption, it always comes first to awareness. Even for myself, (laughs) I struggle a bit to understand all the intricacies around digital health. So I think the very first thing for the vast majority of the population of our pharmacy colleagues is just to be aware of the technologies that are available, get familiar with the term, understand how it's defined, understand the applications of what's being used because as pharmacists, patients will be coming to us with our questions. And I think as being a trusted healthcare professional, it's important that we have credibility and understanding of how these technologies are being used. So we should be able to advise them. And I think I think the very first thing is just starting with awareness of all these kind of things. ASHP, of course, and FDA are great places to start when it comes to understanding more about digital health. Yeah, that's for sure. I know ASHP has been very great finding new different innovative ideas. I know that's why we have this innovative podcast is that, you know, we're always trying to, to strive to be better, to thrive to better. And ultimately, you know, with one goal, help the patients, help pharmacists. So I think that's all the time we have today. I do want to thank Dr. Brian Funk for joining us today to discuss the digital health and health information technology. And as always, before we leave, I encourage you all to check out our ASHP's Innovation Center at ashp.org slash innovation. The Innovation Center was created to further elevate the vital roles that the hospital and health system pharmacy practitioners and ASHP play in a new and emerging sciences and position pharmacy practitioners to influence the development of systems that advance the safety and quality of patient care. Includes news and resources related to innovation and digital transformation in the safe and effective use of medicine, as well as the partnership opportunities and research. Again, thanks for listening in to uh, today's Innovation Friday episode and be sure to follow the ASHP official 
podcast for more innovative topics. And that's all for today. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much, Dr. Brian Fun. Thanks again for having me, Jack. And thanks, Switch. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official. <laughs>